set. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I love you. I love you. I love you. Break it down like this. Welcome to Parenting with Patricia. Twice monthly conversations, insight, and advice on raising happy, resilient children. Your host, Patricia Pearson, LCSW. If you have a problem, question, or comment that you would like Patricia to address on the show, email parentingwithpatricia at gmail.com. Welcome to Parenting with Patricia. This is episode number six, and I am your host, Patricia Pearson. In today's show, we're going to be talking about social skills. My guests, Dr. Christopher Haley and I, will discuss why social skills are important and how learning social skills can help with so many things. I'm really excited for you all to hear Dr. Haley. When he talks, you can literally feel his passion for social skills and feel his passion for others. You can hear his strong belief in the importance of helping children learn the skills to connect with other people. We're going to talk about how learning social skills can help the child that is angry, the child that has trouble making friends, the child with autism, the anxious child, and even how learning social skills can help with siblings that don't get along. Today I'm sitting down with Dr. Christopher Haley, a licensed clinical psychologist and owner of two private practices, Psychological and Life Skills Associates and the Social Skills Center. Dr. Haley has over 20 years of experience in psychotherapy with children, adolescents, adults, families, and groups. His primary specialty area is teaching social skills to patients of all ages, and he facilitates 12 separate social skills groups each week, nine for children and adolescents, and three for adults. He has developed a social skills group technique that employs incidental teaching to foster these essential life skills. His book DVD, Peer Process Social Skills Group, a treatment manual for mental health therapists, behavior specialists, and school professionals, was published in 2011. Welcome and thanks for joining me in the show today. Thank you very much, Patricia. It's a pleasure being here. I appreciate the invitation. Great. Now, we've been talking about social skills today on this Mm -hmm. episode, and so I think the parents want to know why. Why social skills? Mm -hmm. Um, This goes way back, but I've always been a huge believer that social skills are what I call essential life skills. In that, if you're a really good communicator, if you are an exceptional listener, if you know how to network and connect with people in your life, I believe you're going to be successful. I, when I'm out in the community doing presentations to parents, I will often say this. I'll often say it's social skills and not grades that are going to correlate higher with success in the lives of your kids. So I've been a firm believer that if you, can, if you have exceptional social skills and if you are good at connecting with people, that's going to take you further in life. But I also say this because sometimes parents cringe. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be in the position I am today if I didn't do well in school. So school is very important. But it's that social piece that to me is make or break. I mean, I, I've known people in my lives, and I'm sure the listeners have, have known people in their lives who excel in school and are straight-A students. But because they lack the ability to connect with people, they have a harder time being successful in life than a straight C student would 
who who is really good with back and forth stuff. So and and I'll also say this, I my my passion, um, I describe it as a passion to teach these essential life skills is nothing new. This started way back when I'll share a brief mm-hmm. story with you. Sure. This this started way back when I grew up in the suburbs of Buffalo, and I was very fortunate that my parents built a house on a street that had lots of kids. So when I was four years old, five years old, we were out in the street playing. I know that's that's something that doesn't happen now in 2018, <laughs> but we were out in the street playing, and I developed a lot of connections with kids. And I remember getting on the bus in kindergarten, heading off to elementary school for the first time and being able to sit with my friends. And I remember walking in the school with a lot of comfort and confidence knowing that I knew people. Um, And I'm going somewhere with this because I also remember in kindergarten going to lunch and sitting back where we had these tables that were really long rectangular tables. They seem like a mile long when you're (laughs) this high. But I remember sitting at the table at one end with my friends chatting it up because I knew these kids and and, and grew up with them. Um, And I remember looking all the way down to the other end of the table and there'd be one kid. There was one kid sitting all by himself. And I, I, I didn't, and no one did anything about it. No one did anything about it, meaning the teacher would drop us off and walk right past this poor kid. The lunch monitors, we had lunch, the lunch ladies, we called them back in the day, would be there. And they just walked past this kid and let him eat by himself. And I remember thinking, I didn't, I didn't have the psychology vocabulary that I do today, but I remember feeling really uneasy about it. And when you're this big, you're five years old, it's like, I don't really know what to do about it. But, but now that I have the feelings vocabulary, words, words like shame, embarrassment, or even, uh, Patricia, humiliation as to what it was like for that kid. And this kid was, he, he was different. He grew up on a street, or he grew up on a main drag where we were, where he was the only house there and didn't have kids to play with. And, and that experience was life-changing along with others that I had along the way where mm-hmm. I want to be the one to make a difference in that child's life and and in an environment where and, and even in 2018 where lunch and recess from a social skills standpoint are the two most important periods of the day that's where social skills are won or lost mm-hmm. you know, this poor kid sat at the end of the table with his head down and his hair in his eyes and, and, and no one did anything about it and so since that experience like I said and others like it I've made this my life mission to not have that not to, to, to help those kids who have difficulty getting in the mix and getting in the milieu and connecting with others. Mm-hmm. So that's why social skills, because to me they're essential life skills, and without it, oftentimes you're going to struggle. That really speaks to your empathy about this, that you, as five years old, Little. could um, Little. could yeah. feel for that child at the end of the table. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. all these adults didn't even see it. Yeah, they, uh, or, or they, I, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming they didn't see it, but I don't, or they didn't care, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, the, the follow-up of the story, uh, I invited this kid, his name was Peter, I invited him to my birthday party, I remember that. I still had a tough time, even at my birthday, trying to get into the different games. I can't remember the games we played, but getting into the group, and I kept inviting them back. And um, it was either the year after that or maybe two years after that, he up and moved. But I always wonder whatever happened to Peter, and I always I always think positively and hope that, that he was able to, to 
be successful in his life Mm -hmm. um, with whatever he's doing now. And I love what you said about the academics and the social skills. I always think you're you're absolutely right that there has to be that balance. And so often we as parents focus on the the academics Mm -hmm. and we'll say, you know, my kid is so smart. We're going to go up to the next grade level and the next grade Mm -hmm. level and do more and more Mm -hmm. and more IB classes and AP classes when I always think, well, maybe that's when we should work on the social skills part so that Mm -hmm. the two can balance out. I I think you can do both. Mm -hmm. I I think you can do both and I think you need Need to to do do both. both. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. When I I tell the parents that I see, when you go to a parent-teacher conference to talk about your child, a lot of the talk is going to be about grades and are they on grade level and how are they doing in math and how are they doing, how's their spelling. But you really need to say, how does my child do, especially for elementary school, how do they do at recess and lunch? Are they connecting with the other kids? Mm-hmm. Are they connecting with the other kids? It's, it's really important. Now, I think the word social skills has become kind of popular. Um, back when we were children, you didn't hear that term, social skills. Yes. Um, but now parents hear it all the time. And what is it exactly, though? I think yeah. sometimes people get confused. What is social skills? Yeah, it is. Well, the... You can define it in many different ways. The list of social skills that I can come up with would be near endless because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different, quote, skills. That's the skill set that you can have. And, and the, 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 the need for each person, I think, is dependent on that individual. Um, I'm gonna, I can define it by this. To me, social skills are the ability to connect with another person. And that can be a whole slew of things Mm -hmm. in that how do you communicate? How is your eye contact? Are you confident in your interactions with other people? It is, it it can be, it's, I don't, I don't look at it as one specific thing. And when I, when the patients, the kids and the adults that I see for the social skills stuff, I look at it as a whole skill set. And when I do an intake and initial evaluation on someone, I look at a, a wide variety of different things, but I say, what are your strengths? What areas do you need to grow on? But ultimately, what can I help you do to connect with your peers? You know, mm-hmm. you live life with your peers. And in, when you're young, you live life with your, the peers who are in school. When you're in, you know, in your first job in your 20s, you're typically interacting with people you're in your same age group. And so mm-hmm. the, to me is, um, and, and so, many, so many kids that I see, for example, that are on the spectrum, they have a, they're really good. For example, a 10-year-old. Um, a 10-year-old maybe that's on the spectrum may be really good at interactions with 16 and 17-year-olds, maybe really good at interacting with the young brother and the young brother's friends who are five or six, but just not good at interacting with those that are same age, with same age peers. And that, to me, is, is really what the essential skill is, is connecting mm-hmm. with your peers. Mm-hmm. And I can almost think what the parents are thinking as they're listening to this, because I know so many of the children, and especially the teenagers that I see, they'll say, you know, I've got tons of friends, I've got tons of friends, and we talk all the time, and they start moving their thumbs, and, and yeah. you know, doing this gesture with their thumbs, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, do you see these friends, or are mm. these like internet friends, and so I think in the world of social media, social skills kind of get, gets lost. Yeah the, yeah, the definition of friend has changed from right. when you and I were younger right. <laughs> until now in 2018. <laughs> the definition of friend, it really started changing to me with with the social media things like Facebook, where it became popular to have where the, the quantity, the number of friends you had became mm-hmm. important. I have 50 Facebook friends. I have 500 Facebook friends. But how many of them have you met face-to-face and had, right. had a relationship with? 
face to face. It's very, very different now. Mm-hmm. And again, now with, with the video games and kids that are more inside than outside, a lot of their friends are, are those that they interact with on a regular basis on a mm-hmm. TV, playing Fortnite or Call of Duty or, or other things like that. Right. Um, yeah, and I'll also say this when it comes to friends. It is not unusual um, given that I see a lot of kids that, that are in need of social skills, it's not unusual for me to do an initial intake with, uh, with parents or a parent and a child. And I'll always ask, tell me the names of, of your friends in school. And they'll rattle off some names. And then uh, later on in the intake when I meet alone with the parents, because I'll always meet alone with parents too in an intake, um, I'll ask, the names that he mentioned, so-and-so, you know, Bill or Bob or Joe, are these friends? And they'll say, no, these are people that he may say, high to, but not people where there's a real true friendship. And my definition of friendship growing up, and it's still the same, is someone you may know at school, but also someone you hang out with outside of school, face-to-face. Right. Face-to-face. And again, in 2018, it's different. You can connect with someone um, online. You can connect with someone nowadays. Obviously, the texting is a big thing. But unless you're, you know, 14 and going to movies... Or, or um, you know, going to do um, you know the, the 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 bouncy places or whatever these kids are doing, the trampoline place. Unless you're out doing things with people around mm-hmm. a sports team and interacting with people, or, or it's scouts or other activities. I, I don't. I, it's not my definition of friendship. Right. It's different. It's it, it, it's different now. Right. You're right. I think it's so different because when we were little, we just went out and played. We went out and played. And uh, now kids are home alone after school a lot of times. Oh, yeah. And they have activities that they go to, like you said, the scouts and the in the sports. But a lot of times, those even aren't friendships. You just go and you participate in whatever it is yeah, that you're doing. Exactly. exactly. And you're not really yeah, yeah. making friends. I, I saw the funniest cartoon yesterday where there was two captions. At the top caption was it said 1970s 1980s where a mom was the picture was a mom outside grabbing her kid by the ear dragging him in and like the, like the basketball was there and the caption underneath that said 2018 the mom was dragging the kid out of the house and the kid was dropping his video games <laughs> <laughs> like that, that kind of that, that's where it's at yep and that, we can that, that, that's how society has changed yeah, yeah and we can remember that Moms used to have the bell to ring. Time to come home. We had, in in the suburbs of Buffalo, we had the street light. When the street light came on, that's that's time for dinner. Yeah. And then then all the kids would disperse. Yes. Very different. Very different. Now, can you tell us about your social school group technique that you developed? Yes. Yes. I actually, um, I call it a -a one-of-a-kind technique that I've developed over the years. And there's a story behind, I have a story for everything, I have to say that, <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. The, the story behind this is um, ha- having social skills as my passion, which I've said, it's always been my passion, and I knew that I'd, that I'd be in the field of mental health to help kids like Peter who were sit- was sitting at the end of the table. When I first started private practice in 1999, and knowing that my passion and my mission were to teach social skills, the only plan that was available were educational or manual manualized treatments, which were time limited, uh, an eight session model or a 10 session model or a 12 session model where 
they were broken down by weeks. You know, week one you teach eye contact. Week two you teach how to introduce yourself to somebody. You know, week three uh, you know I uh, engage in inappropriate communication. Week four personal space, and so on and so forth. So in 1999, given that that's all that was there, I started these groups, and they were a bit of a flop in that. And this is what I found. Number one, these kids, all my groups were after school, and these kids would come see good old Dr. Haley at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock after school when they've been educated all day. So they were told for the first seven hours of the day, let's turn to, to chapter five and let's do some math. Let's, let's, um, let's read chapter eight in our, in our English book or whatever. And then they'd come see me and it's okay, let's turn to chapter six and let's focus on eye contact. And everyone's eyes would be like, oh, their eyes would roll like, no, not that. So it was harder to get the kids engaged. Additionally, a lot of the educational programs were reliant on uh, activities like role-playing. And role-playing, albeit fine to teach other things, it's not a real-life way of interacting with somebody. So I quickly learned after in 1999 that there's got to be a better way to teach these essential life skills. Now I'm going to go back a couple of years in my doctoral training down in Florida. I took a great group therapy class which used a book by a guy named Yalom. And the book was called the, the what was it? The theory, the theory and practice of group, group psychotherapy, something like that. And the book was geared towards adults. But what I liked about it, therapy with adults. But what I liked about it was that it allowed for natural, flowing, real life in the moment interactions with group members, and it focused on not an educational way of teaching, but more about the process. And so after I started doing the groups, the educational structured way, I went back to thinking, there's a better way to do this. And so what I did was I took this, the, the process group that I had learned in my doctoral training, and I started using it with kids to teach the social skills. Not to do week one this and week two this, but just to allow natural flowing interactions among group members. And the response was much better. In addition, I incorporated this, another approach I'd learned back in my doctoral training, which is called incidental teaching, which simply is you teach a skill in the moment when the situation, the feeling, the behavior comes up. So for, for a period of time, I, I used this new way of teaching these essential skills, and it, and it was much more of a hit. And I, so I, in my mind, <laughs> kind of perfected it along the way and um, came up with my, now I, I entitled it Peer Process Social Skills Groups. Mm-hmm. I don't go into a group, uh, Patricia, with a plan. I meet the, that particular group and I do groups as young as five and six years old all the way up to adult groups. Wherever that group is in the moment, that, that is the plan that we go with. And unlike the educational groups, which teach one skill that week, depending on what's being dealt with and what the group members are talking about, I can teach many different skills, Mm -hmm. many different skills. So I see my role as one to facilitate natural interactions among the group members, regardless of the age, and then to use this incidental teaching approach to teach the skills when that situation arises. 
So they might come in and just start playing a game. Nope. But we always start with the talking piece. Mm -hmm. Even with my little kids, with the five and six-year-olds. Now, it would be unreasonable. I'm actually picturing last night at 6 p.m. with my five and six-year-olds. It would be unreasonable for me to to expect five and six-year-olds to play the whole time. We always start with... Uh, talking time because I always want some back and forth communication among group members for the little kids the best way to engage them is show and tell and they love it mm-hmm. but these kids love bringing in something and turning to their peers and saying one of the kids brought in a creeper which is from um, I can't even think of what the game I'm having oh from Minecraft how could I forget that there's a little a little stuffed animal is like this is a creeper I bought from Minecraft only because like ooh we say tell me about it and so this person is basically on the stage with five other kids around them having a positive interaction and sharing something so all my groups start with that with the younger kids we definitely switch to do some sort of cooperative play stuff and the purpose of that is because it it, it introduces other things for the incidental teaching including competitiveness and anger management and frustration tolerance and other stuff like that with the older the groups get obviously the less fun time for my groups that are 14 and older we spend the whole 50 or 55 minutes with with, with using the the back and forth communication in the incidental teaching right and with this approach you're right you can probably teach so many more things than if you just focused on eye contact for the whole I, I yeah I always I always questioned um using the educational approach for example, if I was a parent and had a child, and and my child were really didn't have an issue with personal space, mm-hmm. and that was the that was the topic being dealt with that week, it's like, well, I mean, my kid's good with that. Do they really need to participate? Or the exact opposite. If what if my child was sick and missed that week, would they just lose that skill? It's because they're not going to have the opportunity to learn that person. But it, with the incidental teaching approach, those things are brought up regularly. So, so multiple be, skills are taught each and every group depending on the needs of that particular group member. Right. So not only does it cover lots of skills, it's very specific to what the kids in that group need. And, and, yeah. and, and what that individual needs. Right. Yeah. For example, again, just going back to personal space, if there's a child who, who is struggling with that, I may turn to them and make an intervention on personal space, or better yet, the group may say, hey, you're getting in this space, which, by the way, is a more powerful intervention when it comes from the group, another benefit of the group. Um, and then I may turn to another child in the middle of the interactions and focus on a totally different skill with that particular mm-hmm. member. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's, it's based on where they're at in the moment, but it teaches a variety of different skills each and every time. Make sense? Right, does yeah. make sense. Yeah. Now, and, and again, to me, it's a better, more effective approach. And because it's more real life, with natural flowing interactions, there's much greater likelihood that the skills are going to generalize out there into the real world. That's where it matters the most. Right. Yeah. Right, because I could see a, a child playing on the playground or playing after school and saying, oh, I remember when that happened at my social skills group, kind mm-hmm. of recreate the whole situation again, yeah. and they'll know how to handle it this time. Yeah, whereas in the other approach, the role play is less... It's less natural. Right. It's ne- less natural, so it's, to me it's harder to teach those skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, another interesting side story is during my doctoral training, the way I learned to teach social skills individually is to use role-playing. And I remember my supervisors, I was working with a little, I can't remember, five or six-year-old, and I was newer at the social skills stuff, and my supervisor said, okay, we're, I'm going to teach you how to do role-playing. And he said, I want you to get on this kid's level and you can get right on the floor and sit so you can look eye to eye. And I want you to pretend to be a six-year-old or however old the, the child was. 
and I, I, whatever his name was, I say, okay, hey, Billy, um, I know I'm an adult, but I want you to pretend that I'm six, I'm six years old, so I got on his level, and I said, I want you to, to practice some things with me. And I said, no, pretend I'm six. And he goes, no, nah, you're an adult. I go, yeah, but just can you pretend that I'm six? Nope, you're an adult. And then I looked at my watch, and I'm like, man, there's 49 minutes left in this session. What do I do? What do I do now? Where's that supervisor now? <laughs> right. So I could see where you're talking about just living in the real moment is much better than role playing. To me. Right. To me. Yeah. I agree. Yep. Now, I, I can see also parents thinking about their specific child and mm-hmm. the need that their child has. And there's so many different needs, but just a couple if we could go over. If you had a child who who gets angry and, mm-hmm. you know, they're the child who at school, they just uh, impulsively someone cuts a line and they smack the kid next to them. Yes. Um, would this be something social skills would be good for? Yeah, absolutely. The, the social skills groups are really helpful for that. And I don't... Um, I don't look at the angry piece. In fact, I break it down differently. Um, and th- this is a phenomenon that's been happening more and more and more. I, I see it really as, um, as a symptom of three different things, the angry kids. Low frustration tolerance, what I call cognitive inflexibility, where it's got to be my way. And if it's not my way, I don't like that at all. And then the, obviously this will go with a poor impulse control. So the kids that I see with the anger management, those are the three different things I focus on. And um, the issue that I've seen with this low frustration tolerance is it's, it's over the last 20 years, it's getting worse and worse. And what I'm talking about with the frustration tolerance are kids that are maybe playing a board game where they get upset or begin to lose and they just flip the board over mm-hmm. and can't hack it. I, I also see it a lot in those kids that are playing the Fortnites in the Call of Duties where they get shot, they don't like it, and they take their control and they zip it and throw it at the TV. So the way I view angry kids is to try to help them with their frustration tolerance by boosting that up, and you can do that in a lot of the cooperative game stuff that we do. The competitive kids, that comes out right there. So the incidental teaching is to sit back Take a deep breath. Understand that this is just a game. Don't turn this little molehill into a mountain. Um, we focus on the, the second piece, which is that cognitive inflexibility piece. And things I'll say are, is it possible there might be another way of looking at this? Could it be you, that we can, we can look at it in a different way? Just to get the kids to see that the, the tunnel vision that they see where it's got to be my way, there are other ways of looking at a situation. And then with the impulse control as well. So those are the three pieces that we work on in the social skills groups. It's not, I wouldn't describe them as an anger management group, more of control and frustrations, being more flexible with the way you think, and then controlling those immediate urges or impulses in the moment. Is there an age group that you see mostly with those sorts of issues? Yes. The gamers. It's not really an age group, but it is those that game that do a lot of the, uh, the, the listeners are probably familiar with the, the ones that have, have kids, especially boys, that play these FPS games, the first-person shooter games. Those are the ones where you see it the most. And, and unfortunately, nowadays, parents are letting these kids play that younger and younger. I see the parents allowing it around 9 or 10 up to maybe 16 is when I see. So that's the age range with the lower frustration tolerance. Mm-hmm. I see it in little kids too. Mm-hmm. I see it in some adults too. But it's the ones that are the gamers that struggle the most. A lot of the boys. Mm-hmm. A lot of the boys that game, they, they're, not, they're, they're not great at dealing with it. 
Yeah, I, I have I have parents that bring in kids to see me specifically for that, specifically for my child has frustration issues. Mm-hmm. Please, please help me with it. Right. Yeah. That, that's a topic that I see, too, a lot. The other one that I see a lot is children with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Parents come in and they describe their child as very anxious. Yes. Um, you know, not being able to go to the birthday party. Kids, um, so many kids just refusing to go to school yeah. and not yeah. able to go to school. Yeah, unfortunately, I see the anxiety, things like a school phobia, um, especially a social anxiety. I see that more and more. And I think that, again, I think it's a societal issue. Um, we we had spoken before about how, how a lot of the kids, there's a lot of pressure on the academics nowadays. Not that there wasn't back then, but it's even more now. Mm-hmm. And the, all these pressures on these kids, it, it contributes to the anxiety. Um, in my experience now in facilitating the groups for 20 years, the socially anxious kids that participate in my group do awesome, and I'll tell you why. A lot of times, the social anxiety is reinforced in that the parents will jump in and assist that child with whatever they need. For example, if they're out to dinner and the child might be anxious about ordering a meal, the parents will jump in and do it for them because it's just easier to do it that way. And that, unfortunately, reinforces that anxiety and actually becomes more ingrained that way. So what we want to do with social anxiety and other fears is you want to face it head on. Um, Now, one of the things I do in my social skills groups for all ages is that the first time, especially for socially anxious kids, is the first time you come participate in my group, you don't have to talk. All you have to do is sit there and observe. That's it. And I say, because my groups are ongoing groups, you're going to be coming into a group where everybody already knows each other. They were all newbies at one point, and they all know the rule that if it's the first time you're here, you just have to observe. And that alone can help take a socially anxious child and diminish that anticipatory anxiety to a more tolerable level to just to get them in the room. Um, I've even had situations before where uh, the child was not comfortable sitting in the circle in the milieu with everybody else, and they actually sat at my desk with the desk chair turned so they weren't even facing the group, but just to get them to be in there, just to hear what the experience would like. And then over time, then that chair turns around and they can face the group. But yeah, socially anxious kids, when you face that anxiety head on and you see that your fears are typically an irrational fear, they do really well. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of kids that have the school refusal? Yes, yes. I have not lately, though, with most of, well, about 99% of the referrals that I personally take are more for my social skills groups and less for school phobia, but I see that a lot more as well. The problem with the school phobia is that it, unless you face it head on early, it gets worse. It gets worse. So if you allow the child to not go one time, day two is going to be harder. And then day three is going to be even harder than that. Um, I, I've seen some school phobic kids where it is, it is, it is the, the chances of them making it back to school are, are, are slim because by the time they present for treatment, they've been out for months. And the truancy officer is involved. Oftentimes the court is involved. Oftentimes the parents are, the, there are threats that they're going to take the parents to jail. And so it's, it gets pretty serious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
The other thing that I see parents talking a lot about is the brothers and sisters and the sibling fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. And people will say, well, you know, kids do that. But sometimes I feel like some parents think that it's really getting out of hand, mm-hmm. the sibling rivalry. And is social skills, is that something that would help that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this can the social skills group will help with this, especially with things that, that sibling rivalry stuff would naturally bring things like competitiveness and things like... Um, uh, uh, one one sibling excelling in a sport where the other one doesn't, um, because those are things that naturally will happen among group members as well. So yeah, I think the social skills groups are very much geared for that. What I share with parents about sibling rivalry stuff is I'll always ask I'll always ask about siblings at an intake. But my question is, do you do you do you as a parent do you deem this as normal typical? sibling interactions because conflict is unavoidable with siblings is going to happen or do you see it as something more and my rule of thumb with my four kids is now that they're older it's less an issue but if it's physical if it's regularly physical that's an issue and then that needs to be dealt with but but to answer your question yeah that's something we deal with directly in the group and a lot of the fun activities that we'll do at the end really pull for that sort of sibling rivalry where that, where that aggression or that that conflict would come out. Do you out. have siblings in the groups together? I have before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I don't always do that. It all depends on the situation. But I've had siblings participate in the, in, in the groups, in, in a, the same group before. Yeah, not regularly, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I do so many different groups, usually I can I can have siblings participate in different groups. But if there is a if there is something that I, to deal with like directly with siblings, I've had twins in groups before. Yeah, even twins. Yeah, but with the groups, I always match by age and level of functioning. So unless they're similar ages, I'd put them in a different group. Right. Yeah, but twins I've had in group before, definitely. But you're saying that the social skills things that they learn in the group will carry over with the siblings at home. A- absolutely. That, well, that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. That the, the goal and expectation is that the skills learned in the group are going to be generalized to their real-world experiences, not only in the home, but in the school and in the community and things like that, in the neighborhood with the kids they play with. Yeah, definitely. Now, what about the parent who's thinking, well, these skills I could teach them. I could teach these. I could have um, some play dates come over and I could do it. Do you think, when do you think it's necessary that they need to go to a social skills group? Yeah, I I have a, a good example for this to me. And some parents can do that. And some parents can. And if parents can do that, I mean, to me, again, as a parent, if I can teach whatever skill to my child, by all means, go ahead and do that but typically the kids that we see are the ones whose parents have tried to do that but for whatever reason have not had success and I my bias has always been that social skills is a skill set much like and I'm going to use an exa- a personal example much like music for me and my personal example here is I've always loved the, the skill set the skill of music, but it never came easy for me. It was always super, super hard work because my brain doesn't work that way. Now, I was raised by awesome parents, um, but my parents don't have the musical background or the skill set either. So they were not able to teach me that, and I had to work really hard to try to be. I'll never be great at it, but to, to, to become proficient at it. And I think social skills um, is the same way that a lot of the parents that I see, they're not great at teaching that skill themselves and their child isn't great at it. And that's where I come in. 
That's where the specialist would come in. Um, and I always encourage parents to try try yourselves, but the ones that finally wind up in, in my office, the parents have been trying, and they've got the school to try, and they just have, have not had the success that they're looking for. Okay. Right. Now, you also said that you work with kids with autism. Yes, yes, many um, kids with autism. Many. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see lots of kids that are on. I probably see, given all the groups that I do and that we see in the practice, I probably see more autistic and Asperger's kids than anyone in Northern Virginia because of the 12 different groups that I do. Um, the kids and the adults that present on the spectrum, um, and I still I throw out the Asperger's term too because to me Asperger's and autism are different, but that present on the spectrum, the, the symptom profile is so varied that I may have one child who he's he's a loud talker and uses a monotone voice but in other ways he does real well and uh, I may have another child who has that the cognitive inflexibility where if I'm thinking it and I like it then you must like it too meaning if I'm into dinosaurs you must like dinosaurs so I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna talk to you for 45 minutes about dinosaurs believing that you're into it as well and um, and I'll take that and I'll compare that to to another person who might be Peter sitting alone at the end of the table who has difficulty interacting to the milieu so the one thing I, I will say about the autism spectrum disorder and Asperger's is that the symptoms are so varied um, of, of the, the patients that present um, I should also say this is that that and this is partly about the autism but other things as well all my groups are eclectic in that because I want to make them as real life as possible. I don't just have an autism group or an Asperger's group. When I welcome uh, someone on the spectrum into a group, they're going to be in a group with another child that may have social anxiety, someone that may have ADHD, someone someone that may be um, a little bit depressed. And so I, I mix that up. I also have boys and girls in, in the groups, although most of the referrals that come in are boys. But I try to make it as real life as possible because that's what it takes in order to generalize the life skills. Um, circling back to your question, yeah, many kids on the spectrum and, and the goals for each of them, my point was the goals for each of them are different because they because with autism, the, the skill sets that they present with and the needs that they present with are so varied. I absolutely love how you said you mix the groups because so many times Happy. when we think of a social skills group, we think of these are all the kids with anxiety, these all the kids with autism, yeah. and you're right. Real world would be a mix of people. A, a real yeah. world is I welcome all different diagnoses mm-hmm. and concerns mm-hmm. into a group. Yeah. I'll also say that um, um, this is going back to my first master's degrees in, in ABA and applied behavior analysis, which some of the listeners will are familiar with ABA because of uh, if, if you have a, a child who's on the spectrum. My groups are really geared for kids that are able to come in and carry on at least some conversation with others that um, sometimes I'll get calls for from a parent whose child is not there yet and that's where I'm going back to the ABA comment that's where I'll recommend some ABA or another mode of treatment prior to starting my groups my groups are are geared for um, for if you're on the spectrum for the, the higher functioning uh, autistic spectrum um, children, adolescents, and adults, and also the Aspie population. Right. Yeah. Now, we've talked about kids with autism, anger, anxiety, and siblings. Yes. Is there any other specific child that you think could really benefit from 
social skills? Yeah, anyone, anyone that's not able to make a friend mm-hmm. or keep a friend over time. Um, anyone that, that, going back to Peter, that sits by themselves. If you have a child, regardless of diagnosis, who's off in the periphery at recess, playing in the mulch. Um, a child that might be shy, that doesn't want to get involved in any sort of extracurricular activity. Um, in my adult groups, <laughs> in my adult groups, my adult groups are really um, geared for those that that have not launched and are living in uh, mom and dad's basement, oftentimes uh, gaming all night and sleeping all day. That's a great population to come in and, and participate in the groups. You know, it's funny that you say that because now that I'm thinking about it, so many of the patients I see talk about friend making. Oh yeah. At, at all ages, mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to make friends, and they'll say in this area it's hard to make friends, mm-hmm. but in this time it's hard to make friends. In, um, in this time, in this area especially, mm-hmm. you know, where I grew up in, in in suburban Buffalo, people stayed there. So the the people that I knew back to my story of elementary school when I was four and five years old. I, I knew them throughout elementary school, throughout middle school. I knew them throughout high school. Um, we live in a transient area here, and it's not unusual for a child. I've had this experience before in my groups. A child makes a friend, and summertime comes, and because the parent is in the military or the government, they move. And then the child's left with nobody. And, and so, so that, that makes it hard. That makes it hard. I, I'll, I'll say to parents that are listening, it is so important to get your kid involved in, in social things and things where there's interactions. Not everyone's an athlete, and that's fine. But there are other ways to get your child involved and other activities that they can do that, that are going to really promote the essential life skills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you said a lot of times kids will have a friend at school and then oh, in yeah. summer they move and also sometimes they'll have a friend at school and then in summer they didn't move but life just sort of stops and mm-hmm. we don't we don't go outside and just see the friend no. in the neighborhood it would be like a 30 minute drive and mm-hmm. a planned play date mm-hmm. and so yeah. and, 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 and there's too much draw and pull with the with the gaming and the electronics right. there's such a pull with being on for a group I have two girls and and two boys but the girls are are more into watching stuff on the YouTube and things like that and the boys are, are more their, their pull is <clears throat> excuse me the Call of Duties and, and, and the Fortnites and things that there's such a pull right. for that which we never had growing up that it's 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 hard it's hard to get them out so in the summertime where you and I naturally would have been outside it doesn't happen as much anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. And you're right. The girls believe that those YouTubers that are showing you how to do mascara are their friends. Yes. You know? Yes, they, they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we laugh at it, but they feel that way. Just as the boys, and we're, we're you know saying boys and girls here, but the kids that game, mm-hmm. those are their friends. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. how they see it. The friends are different, are defined differently by the youth of today than they were back, uh, back then when we were young. It's different. almost it's like the social age. skills is the emojis they use. Oh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you've written a book, a DVD. I have. Can I have. you tell us about that? Where we could get it? How it would be useful? What Absolutely. It's about? Yep. Yeah. The the book I wrote the book uh, in 2011, and there's a reason why I wrote it. Uh, the the first reason I wrote the book was to teach other. The book is written for professionals. I wrote the book to teach other professionals about my unique, my one-of-a-kind social skills group process that, that we just talked about. But the story behind this is 
I'm going to go back to my doctoral training. In that, and because there's a DVD that goes along with this, the, the book to me was not enough. In my doctoral training, even in my first master's degree, um, but especially my doctoral training, I was supervised by these big name psychologists because they'd done all this research and all this other stuff. They're well known in the field. And so they would coach me and teach me and supervise me. And I had their books on therapy and I would read these books. And I always sat back and said, yeah, that's cool. But what do you really do behind the door when you're the therapist? I always wondered that. So I wrote the book to teach other professionals how to facilitate the groups the way I do it. But in order to, I use the word demystify, in order to demystify what I really did, I went out and I filmed a DVD of me in session with multiple different vignettes or scenarios that come up in group. So you can watch me firsthand and see exactly how the incidental teaching goes. And um, I recommend, well, given that parents are listening, um, my book my book and DVD are free. I've, always, I've never sold it. It's, I, don't, I didn't write it for a profit. Um, if you go to my website, socialskillscenter.com, you can download the book and the DVD. It's all on there for free. Um, and for parents that are listening, the book will be less useful because that's written more for professionals. But watch the video vignettes, and you can see exactly what the group's all about. Excellent. And we have um, professionals that listen, too, so I think that would be very helpful. Very cool. good. Very good. I can't thank you enough. This has been so helpful. I think social skills is a term that we throw out. And now to for have people to really understand what it is, what it means, how important it is, has been really helpful, and I appreciate your insights. I, I love talking about it. it. It's been my life's passion to, to teach it. And I, as always, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I thank you for having me. You're welcome. And you definitely a life passion because you talked about this at five years old. Yes, so I, I can tell yes, that this is something that's really meaningful to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and always will be. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Parents, thank you for listening and thank you for caring about your child. You know, I started this podcast because I can't think of anything more important than parenting. It is a podcast for you and I want to meet your needs. So please email me at parentingwithpatricia at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your ideas and thoughts for future episodes. You can also message me on my Facebook page at Patricia. Pearson LCSW, I'd love to hear from you. Also, remember to click subscribe on this podcast to join us bi-weekly for discussions on parenting issues that you want to know. You may not know this, but when you subscribe, rate me, or leave a comment, it helps other parents find the podcast, and I certainly appreciate it. Until next time, remember, parents are important. You are important.